The Blur Havoc podcast may contain content some may find offensive, vulgar, or inappropriate for work or school. All views expressed on this show solely belong to the individual that expressed them. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the penultimate episode of Season 2 of the Blur Havoc Podcast. I am your host, the kind of tired Alistair Aiken, I'm not going to lie. Today was a pretty long day. I got caught in the rain and I was soaking wet when I got home, so that wasn't fun. Um, But I'm continuing off of the last episode. Still got my water, still got my Punch Classico for me to finish off. And today, we're going to be talking about... Oh, my neck. Holy shit. Ooh. Ooh, hold up. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. My neck. My back. My neck and my back. All right. So, we're going to be talking about the difference between a kid's game or a kid's story and a story suitable for children. Because there's a there's a world of difference. I've actually discussed this before in... Um, in a video I made back when I made YouTube videos, which I wish I had the time to make YouTube videos, but I just don't. These are way quicker for me to do. If I ever get the time to make YouTube videos again, I will, but I don't have the time. Um, I was talking about Detective Pikachu. Detective Detective Peek at you, Pikachu. Um, and I was talking about how um, it was Detective Detective Pikachu is a kids movie. Yeah, and here's the thing. A kid's movie is a movie suitable for kids, but a movie suitable for kids is not always a kid's movie. Because a kid's movie is a movie specifically made for kids and cannot really be enjoyed by adults. Adults may enjoy it, but it's not going to be as fun. right? Because Detective Pikachu, I was enjoying it, but then after a while I just kind of got tired of the same old kiddie-ass writing where, like, the, the characters explain everything and, like... Oh God! It was like it's, oh, it's not a tortu, it's a tortuga, it's not a mountain. It's like, well, no shit, mountains don't move, Pikachu. Like, who? And then, and then there was another one. It was like, oh, that's not Mewtwo. It's Mewtwo controlled by somebody or something stupid like that. And it's like, ugh. God, the writing is so childish. But then you have something like, uh, oh shit, it's been a while since I could think of a movie like that. But we'll go off of the project I was talking about in the last episode. Sonic Adventure 2 is, like I said, it's a game suitable for children, but it's not a kid's game. Where Sonic Adventure 2 has some, like I said last episode, some pretty dark themes. Some pretty dark moments. A character dies at the end of the game. Alright? But it's still suitable for children. You know, there's no... There's no, like, titties. No, I mean, you know, uncensored titties. You know, Rouge has her titties, but, you know, there's no uncensored titties. Um, there's no harsh language. I mean, you know, Knuckles theme. Knuckles music has some spicy language here and there. Oh, I got ash on my pants again. I hate this. Um, there we go. Um, 
you know, there's, you know, there's some violence, you know, with blowing up robots and the characters fight every once in a while, but it's nothing too crazy. It's not like people are getting their heads ripped off or, you know, they're, they're like fucking on the screen or anything like that. You know, they're not saying bitch, you know, they, even though Shao the Hedgehog did do that, (laughs) they did have blood, people dying and, and cursing hell and damn and all that stuff <laughs> um but yeah it, it wasn't you know sonic adventure 2 was still suitable for children you know i could put my kid in front of sonic adventure 2 i don't have a kid just so we're clear but when i have a kid i could literally put drop them in front of sonic adventure 2 and just be like you'll be fine you know while i could also put them in front of detective pikachu but they'll you know, it's a it's it's a kid it's a kid's show. It's a show it's a movie for moronic kids. And one of the biggest differences between a kid's show or a kid's story and a story suitable for children is that the the kid's story will always treat the audience like they're stupid. Like they can't put two and two together. Like sometimes the Sonic movies the two Sonic movies dip into this every once in a while where they don't think that the audience will catch on to what just happened on the screen so they'll blatantly explain what's going on. Um, but it's not as egregious as it's like Detective Pikachu. Detective Pikachu was just insulting. It's been a while since I've seen that movie though, but I just remember kind of just getting tired of it because it was just like insulting my intelligence. And another thing that makes a kid's story and not a story suitable for children is that they 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 dance around things that you really don't need to dance around when it comes to kids like death death is something that kids you know will have to face one day you know they'll have to face the idea that people die right like there was a moment in big hero 6 the movie where hero I believe that's his name. Hero, the main character. Um, it was like during like the second act low point, where he, he like he's talking to Baymax, and then Baymax is like, "Oh, we should seek your older brother for something." And then Hero says, "But he's gone." Why write it like that? For kids, that's why. Because in all actuality, his brother's dead. His brother died saving trying to save his professor right from a like a from a fire so instead of having the emotionally impactful moment where he says but he's dead which would have hit a lot harder it would have been had a much more heavier emotional payoff instead he says but he's gone because they don't think kids can handle the word death which which if i'm not mistaken uh what is it called the trope is called never say die where for some reason let, let's uh look at the uh the iconic intentionally avoiding all mentions of the concept of death because i don't believe that kids can handle the idea of death the idea that someone can die someone can not come back like, in in Sonic and the Hedgehog 2, Sonic straight up says, I couldn't let you die. 
Like, you know, kids can handle the word death, dead, die, kill. You know? Um, like, here, here's a few examples here. Let's see. Okay, so yeah, I actually just got stuck here just reading examples from <laughs> from this page. So we're just going to get off of this page. But the reason why I have a problem with it is because a lot of people like to defend some of this shoddy, like, you know, hand-holding stuff as like, Oh, it's made for kids! You know, which this that's the exact voice, same voice I made in the dis in the Detective Pikachu video, but it's the it's, a, it's such a ridiculous argument. It was made for kids, you know. That means you have to calm it down, you know. It's too intense. Who cares? It's made for kids. It's like, well, I care. Why? Because why would you want to have your future generation have their hands holded? I mean, look at where we're at now. We got people from my the generation after me eating Tide Pods and like, you know using TikTok to show when they got into a car accident or something. You know, crying, holding their pets. Their pets die and they hold their corpse while they're recording a video and they're playing some some fucking song and it's just like, ooh, what is happening to our society? Anyway, like, why would you want to lower the barrier? You know, why would you want to have your kids be subjected to bottom tier bottom of the barrel content like stuff like teen titans is the stuff i want if i was to ever make child friendly content it would be like teen titans where it would be like teen titans and sonic adventure 2 where it doesn't shy away from darker topics such as everyone always talks about that episode of teen titans where where robin hallucinated slade slade was supposedly dead and robin was hallucinating him you know still being alive and he was getting his ass kicked by a hallucination. And it was one of the darkest episodes of any TV show suitable for children I've ever seen. Pretty dark episode. But I feel like those kind of harrowing like stories are good for children in a sense. You know, you don't want to be showing them like fucking like Halloween 7 where, you know, a topless woman is getting her head chopped off or something crazy like that. But, you know content with a little bit of edge, you know, it's going to sound weird when I say this, but it's going to put a little bit of hair on your kid's chest. Like, dude, my generation grew up with Courage the Cowardly Dog. Have you seen the crazy shit in that show? Like, everyone talks about, everyone talks about the the Curse of Moses with the, the, the dude with the claymation CGI animation saying, return the slab or suffer my curse, you know? Everyone's freaked out about that. I always thought that episode was hilarious. All right, that CGI shit was my jam. I loved watching that. I, I love that episode just so I could see that weird CGI thing where he's like moving his arms around all weird. I always loved that episode. But there was an episode that did traumatize me. It was the Curse of the Black Puddle or Queen of the Black Puddle, whatever it was called. Let me see uh, if I could find it on TV Tropes. I wish I could find it. Or Queen of the Black Puddle or something like that. I'm not going to try to look for it. But that episode. <laughs> oh, man. 
that episode had me terrified. It was one of the few TV show episodes that as soon as I saw the title card, I would turn the TV off. I wouldn't even change the channel. I'd turn the TV off and go do something else for about 30 minutes. I didn't want to see a glimpse of that episode. Now, why is it, why am I saying, oh, it's a little, it's all right to traumatize your kids a little bit. It, yeah, it sounds kind of fucked up, I know. But what it does is that it causes your kid to, how do I put it? It causes your kid to be able to stomach things a little bit better. You know? To, uh, to stomach the idea that... Because Curse the Cowley Dog, you know, a lot of episodes are, are pedantic compared to, like, you know, some of the stuff we see, uh, you know, as adults. Some of the, like, oh my god, dude. Ooh, small tangent. I, I've been slightly obsessed with EAS scenarios, which are emergency alert system scenarios. Where basically, like, you know, the alert system that goes, ah, you know, that thing. Um, they basically make fake ones about, like, weather events or, you know, like, civil danger. Where there's, like, a, a person that's out here, like, stabbing people in the ass and shit, you know. Or, like, you know, there's nuclear war or something like that. Like, you know, there's these fake scenarios. And one of them had me so scared to the point of tears. I'm not joking. And I will tell you exactly which one it is, so you can go look at it. Let me let me type it here. It is called EAS Scenario SCP-965, The Face in the Window. That EAS Scenario scared me so badly, I had tears in my eyes. Because <laughs> I was watching it at work, and when I got home... It was, my home was in complete darkness and I was scared to enter my home I had tears in my eyes my dog is here and I was still terrified because I constantly was thinking if I look out that window and I see some dude staring at me I'm gonna fucking scream I'm gonna cry I'm gonna lose it alright but like I don't even know how I got here but but what the whole reason I brought that up is that is that, you know, stuff like that, it kind of adds a little bit of hair on your kid's chest so that they can face, they can face, you know, things in the real world. You know, because a lot of kids, they don't face scary things in their youth. They don't, they don't see, you know, things that kind of show you the darker side of the world. So that when they do step onto the, into the real world, a lot of the real world slaps them around. And next thing you know, you got kids out here getting kidnapped because they believed some random dude when he said, I got Fortnite bucks, like, it's okay to have your kids be a little traumatized. A little bit. And I let that die out again. I'm just going to wait till the podcast is over and then I'll just finish that off. But, yeah, it's okay for your kids to be traumatized a little bit. It's alright. They'll be fine. Like a lot, that's one thing. A lot of these kids' movies these days are kind of missing. They're missing a little bit of that edge, a little bit of that edge that really puts some hair on our chest, you know. And I'm not saying we're like the generation where we're eating nails and like, you know, peeling off our skin and shit and being like, I'm going to work, you know, because that's not my generation. My generation is rather weak. But besides the point, what I'm saying is that, you know, entertainment for kids these days is so sanitized. 
It's so sanitized and so safe. You know? And it's... It's, it's causing kids to... I'm seeing this effect with kids. It's causing kids to just be these smooth, round, gray blobs with lacking lacking all personality. Because the thing... Whether you like it or not, a lot of these these things in these kids' movies that have a, that add a little bit of edge to these, you know, films, they, they help shape who you are, you know? Like, one thing that, one of my, one of my, like, I don't even want to use that example because it's kind of a bad example, but I'll just use the example from the previous episode. Where Sonic Adventure 2 was the thing that caused me to want to write stories. It made me realize how awesome serial serialization is. To understand there is a canon that you must understand in order to get the best experience when watching or playing these stories. Alright? Nowadays, a lot of these movies, TV shows, and, and video games for kids don't want to touch on serialization. Because a lot of these are like, is this? I just got distracted for a second. I'm sorry. Um, I realized mid like reach that I was getting distracted by this flashlight for some reason. I was just like, I'm just gonna grab it anyway. But um, a lot of these, a lot of these shows and video games, they don't want to tell serialized stories anymore. Because if you tell serialized stories, that means that new people are gonna be scared to jump into it, and you're gonna lose out on customers. And that sucks. It sucks that that's the not not that people are gonna lose out on it because fuck them I don't care go back to the beginning just like everybody else, but what sucks is that people think that that actually matters that you lose that 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 it matters that you lose money telling a good story because it doesn't work where it doesn't work that way it's not the way it, people think it works is that make every story for everybody and everybody will watch it no that's not how it works make a story that you want to tell and people will come to watch it that it's that simple looking at some of the recent box office stuff we're looking at here um lightyear lightyear is a, a good example of this lightyear is a story that nobody asked for it's a story that didn't interest anybody and it's a story that looks like it's trying to play it safe and be this star wars marvel thing just like every other thing and guess what? It's losing money as we speak. If you make a if you make a story for everyone, you have made a story for no one. And that's the crux of the entire issue when it comes to kids movies is that it's a story made for everyone rather than being a story that's suitable for everyone. Cuz you can make a story that's suitable for everyone, but not a story for everyone. Because a lot of these movies and video games and TV shows are all products made by committee. You know, it's a boardroom full of people smelling their own farts that are so out of touch with reality. And then when their movies flop, they go like, well, what the shit happened? Well, you made a movie for no one. You made a movie for everyone and it was for no one. Well, you look at, okay, so let's let's look at my one of my favorite franchises, Transformers. 
you got movies like the first five live action movies, which are basically all all live action big blockbuster event movies that you know some are blockbuster movies that are essentially made for everyone, right? But with each movie, they began to see diminishing returns, where it was like the first one made a lot of money, the second one made even more money, the third one made the most money out of all five of them, and then Age of Extinction made a little bit less than the third one, and then the last night essentially flopped. As a matter of fact, let's do a little bit of research real quick. Highest, uh, hi, uh, hello? What is wrong with me today? List of highest grossing movies. Let's see. The highest grossing Transformers movie was Transformers Dark of the Moon, which is arguably the best. Sorry. Not sorry. You know, out of the Michael Bay ones, that is. Bumblebee is better than all of them, to be completely honest, in terms of objectivity. But Transformers Dark of the Moon is the best out of the Michael Bay series. Um, is this adjusted for inflation? I have no idea. But, but then you got... Um, Transformers Age of Extinction under that. As a matter of fact, I should be going to the I should be going to the Transformers film franchise page. Let's see box office performance. Hello? Okay, there we go. Um Worldwide. Huh? How does this work? I, I don't know what just happened there. Um, but Dark of the Moon made the most. Age of Extinction made the second most. And I'm not going to count Bumblebee because, like I said, um, this is about the uh, this is about the Michael Bay movies. Revenge of the Fallen made the third most. The first one made the fourth most, and then the last night was the worst performing out of all five of them. Which, what was the budget for it? Oh, the budget was like $260 million. That's an L. They lost money on that. Because, uh, according to what I've been told, in order for a movie to make its budget back, in order for a movie to break even, it has to make basically triple its budget. I'm not going to get into it all right now. But it basically has to make triple its budget. Triple of $260 million is like... That's like seven hundred million, right? Yeah, about seven hundred and seventy million, just about seven hundred seventy million. So I don't know, but it didn't make its money back basically, because that that budget is the production budget, not the the full cost of the movie. That's wild. Bumblebee made its money back though, which is all I give a shit about because that's the direction I want Transformers to go in. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the thing is that the, the Michael Bay Transformers movies were all movies that were made by committee. They were made to satisfy everyone. And look at it. It got after Dark of the Moon, which was the peak of the franchise. It decreased, it got decreasing returns. Age of Extinction made less than The Last Night made was the worst performing out of all six movies, even including Bumblebee, which Bumblebee was a lower, Bumblebee was a lower budget movie. 
So it's, it, it, it did make its money back. But uh, the last night, and the last night was a terrible fucking movie too. It was terrible. Um, but they were all movies made for like everyone. For the teenagers, for the moms, the dads, the kids. Even though half of them have a pretty horrible language. Like, whew. Have you have you have you watched Revenge of the Fallen? I'm surprised that movie's not rated R with how much they curse in that movie. Like they curse a lot in that movie. In Age of Extinction as well, they curse a lot in those movies. Um But then you have Bumblebee. Bumblebee is a movie that was made specifically with Transformers fans in mind. People that love the mythos, they love Generation One, they love the characters, you know. It's made for people that actually give a shit about Transformers. And yeah, it wasn't the one that made... It, it didn't make like billions of dollars like Dark of the Moon and Age of Extinction. But you know what it did do? It made a good fucking movie. As a matter of fact, it says critical in the critical and public response section of this page. It says, with the exception of Bumblebee, common elements of the original film series received negative reception. Such as the repeated formulaic plots, acting, dialogue, filming, transformer redesign, sophomore and toilet humor, female character objectification. God, that word sucks. The Transformers being reduced to secondary characters in their own films, cliched and controversial characterizations, aimless. Oh my God, aimless story arcs, lack of character development, inconsistent. Oh my God, <laughs> Jesus. The inconsistent tone, incoherent action, questionable marketing. Poor writing, racial and cultural stereotypes, overuse of MacGuffins, product placement, CGI, long running times, and excessive retroactive continuity changes. Wow. That was an insane list of... <laughs> that was an insane list of complaints. Oh my god. That was a lot. <laughs> I was not anticipating that. Jesus. Um, and then, But Bumblebee is just like... Bumblebee was made by someone that cares about Transformers, and it was made for people who care about Transformers. And you know, this is exactly what happened when I saw Bumblebee. Because I got to see Bumblebee early. I saw it in like, when did Bumblebee release? December 21? I, I saw it in like December 8th, right? I saw it like a few weeks before it got released worldwide. worldwide. Um, and when I saw it by myself, and I said, oh my god, this was amazing, right? Bumblebee was amazing. Right, and you know what I did? I went to my friends. I said, "Guys, we got to go see this movie." Whew! I heard a car rev up outside, and I thought it was a nuclear. Man, the the EAS scenarios fucked me up, man. I thought it was a nuclear horn going off, and I was like, "Oh my god, I have to pack up. I have to go." I was about to start crying. <laughs> um. Oh my god. Anyway. Um. But yeah, I, I saw Bumblebee, and then I told my friends, hey, we gotta go see this movie. This movie's good. Like, it's really good. And then um, my friends was like, all right, we'll go see it, because they saw the last night with me, because I was super excited to see it. And then they were like, we'll go see it, and then we saw it, and they was like, it was a movie. You know? Even though me personally, I was like, that movie was garbage. That was the worst Transformers movie I've ever seen. Which is saying something, because there's also Revenge of the Fallen. But but then me and my friends went to go see Bumblebee when it came out, and we were, we all came out like, well, you know, I already saw it, but the rest of my friends was like, wow, that was a really good movie. Which it's anecdotal, it's anecdotal, 
but it shows you how when you actually have a focused vision, which is also the issue that Sonic Forces had, when you have a focused vision, you can please a lot more people because it, you you have direction. And that's why Bumblebee is the most well-received movie out of all six. Which is why, if I'm not mistaken, with... Like, look at this. Critical reception for Bumblebee is that it, it got a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. While all the other ones got below 60. The closest one being the first one. The first one got 58, which I'm surprised Dark of the Moon got 35%. Because I still think it's probably the best out of the originals. But then again, it's like almost a three hour long movie. So people that didn't like people that didn't like the Transformers movies, they probably weren't going to like Dark of the Moon either. Um, but we got... Uh, where, where, where is it? Where did you go? I'm looking for... Rise of the Beast, there we go. So we got Rise of the Beast, which is now taking the Transformers franchise and using the Bumblebee continuity rather than the Michael Bay continuity. So it's... Let me see. Yeah, fuck it. I'm not going to read all that. Um, But that's the thing, is that Paramount realized we need to just make good movies make movies that people will actually want to see, make movies with creators that actually want to make these movies, because after the third movie, Michael Bay didn't want to make any more Transformers movies. But Paramount was like, we can't fathom a Transformers movie without Michael Bay. And it's like, dude, it's easy. Just hire someone else. It's easy. Oh my god. <laughs> and then you can see it in Age of Extinction and last, the last night that Michael Bay stopped giving a shit. He was just like, I'm in it for the paycheck. And that's what, and that's, that's, that's how you make a, a movie suitable for, it's, it's suitable for everyone, but it's not for everyone. You see, it, it's, it's hard to explain, but it's suitable. It, these movies are suitable for everyone. Like the Bumblebee is suitable for everyone, but it's not made in with everyone in mind because uh, last example mass effect mass effect one and two had specific visions in mind they wanted to tell a space opera storyline with choices that had consequences right then mass effect three comes along and with one character i knew that they were taking a different route with the storytelling james vega james vega was made with new players in mind which told me straight from the rip this game is going to be a game made for everyone. Not a game suitable for everyone, which Mass Effect isn't really a game suitable for everyone because it's rated M, so it's by default not suitable for everyone, but you get my point. It's a game made for everyone because they, you literally made a character specifically to introduce new players to the world of Mass Effect. If I was the director of Mass Effect, I would have been like, uh, sucks to be you, Mass Effect 3 was delayed like three or four times. It's like, while you, while this game is delayed, how about you go play Mass Effect 1 and 2 in all the DLCs while you wait, instead of just jumping into Mass Effect 3. 
Now, I'll probably get into this next season because my next episode is going to be something else. It's going to be it's going to be a bonanza, all right. But um, I want to talk about that whole concept because it's not a flawed concept to like be like, hey, we need characters that like help us bring like help people that are not used to this world. They don't understand what's going on. It, we need a character that can act as like a, an audience surrogate. A new audience surrogate, a new fan surrogate that helps us understand what's going on in this world. Because I did it too in Blur Havoc 3, where Isabella is the character that I in, I added to the main lineup so that we can have a character that helps people understand all of the in all of the things that they probably missed without it being exposition, you know? Without it being like unnecessary and unnatural exposition. So there's a use for it. But I'm not going to sit here and, like, you know, have a character specifically to explain every single thing that happened. I'm not going to do that. Just the, 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 just the stuff that's, like, new to the universe, you know? But that's for another episode in Season 3, because that's all I got for today. And the next episode, we're just going to have we're gonna have some fun, alright? We're not going to review anything. We're not going to, like, analyze anything. We're just we're gonna have like an hour long episode with a with a with a, a mason jar full of full of <laughs> butterscotch moonshine and we're gonna have some fun. All right. So I hope to see you on the next hour long season finale of the Blur Havoc podcast for season two. I have been your host. Alistair Haken, and I hope to see you guys next week. Ta-ta for now. to the Blur Havoc podcast. Purchase the Blur Havoc book series on Amazon Kindle or paperback today. 